Amen. It's interesting that you come to verse 11 and verse 12 of James chapter number 4. They almost seem like they've just kind of been slid in there, but they, they're not, okay? Uh, as James is going through his letter, and as he continues his journey through his letter, it's interesting that uh, we move from walking in wisdom and having this relationship with the Lord that we should have, beginning with drawing near to Him, okay, or submitting ourselves, first of all, to Him, uh, resisting the devil, okay, and then as He walks down through each of these to draw near to God, cleanse your hands, okay, purify your hearts, uh, be miserable and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom, and then He says, finally, to humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. We come to verse number 11, and it's interesting where He goes from here. Because he says, do not speak against one another. And I want you to notice who he's referring to. He says, brethren. Now, I want you to understand something here. He's not talking to lost people, okay? He's talking to those that, are, that he's writing, okay? Those that would be in the church as he's, as he's writing this letter to believers. It's an interesting phrase. Because what we find is James moves from the exalting of oneself then to slander, okay? Judging others, uh, presumption, prayerlessness, and indifference to what is right and also to the judgment of God himself. And he's going to cover all of that in these next verses from verse 11 all the way through verse 17. So when you look at verse 11, it is interesting as James opens verse 11, he says, do not speak against one another. That word speak there is an interesting word because the Greek word there actually talks about slandering or lying with malicious intent, which is a significant word. To slander with malicious intent, he says, do not do that to each other, brethren. Because he continues in verse 11 and he said, He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. So what is he saying here? Well, this slander that he is talking about here. The slander of a fellow believer contradicts the demand to love our neighbors. Matter of fact, Jesus himself was asked about this. He was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? And the first one, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He said, the second's like unto it. And matter of fact, let me tell you where he's drawing from. He's drawing from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16 through verse 18. That's where he's drawing this from. Matter of fact, if you want to hold your place here in James chapter 4, flip back to Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, and I want you to notice with me verse 16 through verse 18. So as James writes this, okay, I want you to notice... As he talks about in verse 11, the law. Now notice verse 16 through verse 18, Leviticus chapter 19. 
You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. And you're not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor. Let me make sure I draw a distinction here. This is not saying that reproof cannot come, that it can, that, that it absolutely means that we don't say anything at all. He's talking about slander here, that, that, that malicious intent that we have to lie about or to slander someone. And so he goes on in Leviticus and he says in verse 17, the end of it, but shall not incur sin because of him. Verse 18 You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love, and here it comes, but you shall love your neighbor, what? As yourself. And then he notices, he closes it again with, I am the Lord. Now let's go back to James chapter number four. So what is James saying here? James says that failure to do the law implies a denial of the law's authority. Notice what he says in verse 11 of James 4. Do not speak one against another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge of it. In other words, you set yourself up as a judge here. This slander, this malicious intent, this lying, okay, against a believer, okay, James says cannot be because now what you're doing is you're speaking contrary to what the law says we should do in loving our neighbor. But wait a minute. Hold on just a second here. James also writes in verse 12 that God is the only ultimate judge here. Notice verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? In other words, where have you been set up to this? So what's he talking about here? This one lawgiver. This one that we should be concerned about that can destroy what? Notice what he says, who is able to save and to destroy. Well, you know, Jesus spoke about this. If you'll flip over to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, you'll notice Jesus makes a reference to this. Matthew chapter number 10. In verse 28, Matthew chapter 10, in verse number 8, Jesus is dealing with the meaning of discipleship. And when you come to verse 28, it's interesting what he says. He says, do not fear those who kill the body that can harm you physically. He said, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. There's one lawgiver. There's one judge. And I'll say this to you this morning. There is only one person who knows the intent of the heart of every individual in this building. 
And I'll say this to you this morning. He is the ultimate judge. Are you ready for this? He is the final authority. That's who he is. So here's what James writes. He said, so if you speak against this and you act contrary to this, then basically what you're doing is you're setting yourself up as a judge here. That's not for us. I don't know the intent of a heart. I don't know an individual's heart. There's only one who knows that. And so here's what James says. You don't slander them. Not with malicious intent. You don't lie about them. Now, is reproof sometimes necessary? Yes. Is correction sometimes necessary? Yes. The wounds of a friend can hurt sometimes, but they come with love from a friend. That is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about this slandering, this malicious intent of lying about somebody when it's not true. And basically, James says, so therefore you set yourself up as this judge. Well, he moves from 11 and 12, and he moves to verse 13. You see, it is only God who can find and punish those who break his laws. He's the only one who knows. But he moves to verse 13, and it's interesting because he's going to give us another one of those evidences of a genuine faith. He's been doing that all throughout of his letter. And so that's why when you see verse 11 and verse 12, we come out of this walking in wisdom and, and how this relationship with God can be to the place that it needs to be. And now we're going to move from verse 13 through verse, uh, through verse 17. And he's going to deal with having the right priorities in life and how they should be. So verse 11 and verse 12 is in there, but they're so key to all of the rest of his letter. But we come to verse 13, and we see this other evidence of this faith, this genuine faith. And what is it? It is the seeking for and the doing of the will of God. How many of you have ever heard you've struggled with this in your own life when somebody says to you, well, you just need to follow God's will for your life, and you go, how do, how do I know what that is? How, how do you do that? I mean, how, how do you determine what God's will is for your life? He said, how does, that, how does that come about? Well, I'll tell you what. If you go back to verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, okay, you'll find out the progression of moving that direction and determining what the will of God is for your life. But, but James is going to deal with another side of that coin here as he comes to verse number 13. And I want you to notice what James writes. He says, come now. That come now is an interesting phrase in Greek. Here's what it means. It means listen up. You need to pay attention here. I want you to listen up. He says, come now. You who say, in other words, coming out of your mouths, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. That's interesting that, that James writes that for us. But determining the will of God and doing the will of God, how many of us, when we look at each day, we're no different really than verse 13 we got our days all planned out. All right. 
You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, okay? How many of your, your, your entire day, week, and month is planned out on a calendar? And heaven help if something gets out of place. Huh? But how many of us, most of the time when we set those calendars in place, we set the day in place, we set the week in place, we set the month in place, and we absolutely set them in place, and we set those things down with absolutely no reference, no thought, no thought in the process of whether or not God is a part of it or not. That's what James is going to deal with. Matter of fact, in our relationship with the Lord, sometimes that can be difficult. Well, John spoke about this. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. If you haven't figured out by now, I hope you have your Bible with you. We're going to do a lot of, we're going to look, uh, do a lot of looking in the Word of God. All right? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through verse 17. You know, one of the things that James had written about was about our not being tied to the world. In other words, not to be spotted from the world. For there to be a distinct distinction or a definite distinction between us and the world. Okay? Well, John wrote about this in 1 John chapter number 2, verse 15 through verse 17. We looked at these a little bit earlier. Okay? A couple of weeks ago. Verse 15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17, I want you to notice, the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The will of God. Let's go back to James chapter number four. So how, do you, how do you do that? I mean, how, how, do, how do you look at each day? You know, I, 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 people say this all the time about me. I pray about the, the smallest of things, and I've shared this with you before. Going to the hospital sometimes. Have you ever been to Our Lady of the Lake? Okay. Uh, wonderful hospital. Okay. But I can tell you, parking is a nightmare. Okay. Fortunately for us, they have these, they have these specified parking places. You know, what's interesting to me is sometimes I go to the hospital to go visit somebody at Our Lady of the Lake, and I'll be behind one or two people. And as soon as you come into the parking garage, our spots are right there on the side. And what's interesting, I have been in there before and have two or three cars in front of me, and I notice the brake lights go on because there's empty spots right there. Okay? And they look there for a minute, they pause, and I'm saying, don't do it. You're not supposed to park there unless you have a sticker, okay? But anyway, before, I, I used to pray about this all the time. God, you know my schedule today. God, you know how tight my schedule is today. God, I sure could use a parking place fairly close. Never fails, okay? There's always been a fairly close parking place. You say, Brother Robert, is God that concerned about the smallest details of your life? He is. So here's what James says. If we're not careful, verse 13, because here's what he says. He said, you say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Let me ask you a question. God anywhere in that? 
No, he's not. Have we consulted, have they consulted God at any point in putting together this schedule or this plan? Well, verse 14 is interesting. We kind of get a practical application for us in verse 14. Yet, here's what you need to consider. Because you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. Huh? Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all know exactly what your life's going to be like tomorrow? I can tell you right now, some of you were thinking, yep, I know exactly what tomorrow's going to hold. As far as your calendar's concerned and what you've penciled on there. But I can tell you right now, not a single person in this building has any idea what tomorrow will hold. Why? Because you don't control it. We don't control it. Listen, tomorrow may never come. And, oh, by the way, death is no respecter of age at all. We may never see tomorrow. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all worry in here? Any worriers? How many of you worry yourself to death sometimes about something that's going to happen three or four days from now? Have you ever considered they may not come? Huh? So why worry about it? Jesus said, you have no reason to worry. Now, before anybody runs out of here and say, wait a minute, the preacher says you shouldn't plan anything. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about being one of those that goes sits out here in the middle of airline highway and sits down in the middle of it and say, okay, God, I'm sitting here in the middle of airline highway. Now it's up to you to keep me safe from all these vehicles riding up and down the road because I feel like this is your will for me to sit here in the middle of this highway. Okay, come on. Because he had something in verse 14. And matter of fact, we're real good at pulling this out of verse 14. How many of y'all have ever just kind of pulled it, slipped it out of verse 14 and just used it to apply it to something? Uh, your life's but a what? It a vapor. It's a vapor. And guess what James writes? It appears for a little while and then guess what? It's gone. Vanishes away. Have you ever considered living 80 years in light of eternity? Have you ever imagined that? How much how much do you think those 80 years in light of all of eternity? Do you realize it? You could take a you could take the head of a straight pen and stick it down here and draw a line throughout all of eternity. And I'm going to tell you something. That's about what it might look like. We're only here for a short amount of time. And by the way, we don't know how long that's going to be. So if you're a believer today, one of the things that we should be doing as a believer is yes, it's a good thing to plan. And oh, by the way, all of those that James is writing to here in the church, the believers here, they know exactly. They're familiar, very familiar with the illustration that he's using. There's a businessman. He goes into a country for a year. He's going to buy and sell and get profit in all of those things. They would have clearly understood that. 
So what is James saying in verse 13 and verse 14? It's a warning for those who think through and make future plans as if God does not exist or care. My dear friend, he does. And as I said earlier, it's not wrong to plan. We do it all the time. We have a calendar here at the church. And guess what? We're all the time filling up with dates. But also understanding and realizing those days may never come. We may not see them. So it is not wrong to plan. And this illustration would have been very clear to James's readers. A typical businessman who makes his plans apart from God, which he's making reference here, when they were dispersed throughout the land, they would go into the land, set up a business, and try to make money and try to make profit. They understood that. But I also want you to understand something else this morning. The problem was not with making a profit. There is nothing wrong with making money. There is nothing wrong with any of that. So what is the big issue? What is it that James is trying to get across here in verse 13 and 14 of his letter of chapter 4? I will tell you what the, what the situation is. It was the presumption. It was the presumption that the future and any successes rested solely in their hands. That's what the problem is. You see, my dear friend, this thing's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. At the end of the day, it's all about him. Why? God created all of it. And I hate to tell you this. I mean, you might have that calendar. I have it on my phone. Sometimes I wonder. You know, we used to say, boy, it sure would be nice to be able to have something we can communicate with everybody? Wrong thought. How many of y'all remember pagers? Anybody ever have a pager? I remember when I first got, I remember when I got my first pager, okay? I'm out in the middle of nowhere traveling between clients and my pager goes off. Okay, not just once. It'll go off 15 times. I said, so what am I supposed to do with this pager that's going off? I'm out in the middle of nowhere, okay? So, so what good is this pager? Matter of fact, there were times I'd go across a bridge, there'd be a river down there, I'd want to take it off and just chunk it in the river. This crazy pager. How many of y'all remember blackberries? Anybody ever had a blackberry? You were cool if you had a blackberry. Okay? And then we came out. Oh, y'all remember this? Remember this? This was back in my days before I went into the, to the ministry, okay? Before God called me into the ministry. It was so cool. How many of y'all watched Star Trek? You know the little recorders they had that would flip up, okay? How many of y'all remember the flip phone when it came out? <laughs> Motorola's flip phone. Of course. Please understand me this morning. James does not talk. Technology can be a good thing. Profit is not a bad thing. Business is not a bad thing. Here's the problem. 
It's the presumption. It's the presumption that everything in our life rests solely within our hands. It does not at all. Matter of fact, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Jesus is going to talk, uh, Jesus is going to talk about this as well. Luke chapter number 12. One of the parables that Jesus shares in Luke chapter number 12 is going to speak to this, right? Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. And I want you to notice as Jesus begins to share this parable. He said, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones or larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul? You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Verse 21, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward who? Toward God. Now let's go back to James 4. There's nothing wrong with the prophet. There's nothing wrong with technology per se. As long as we understand where they fit. What James was dealing with was the presumption. Was the presumption that all of this fit within their hands. That they held control of all of this. Well, there's something else that's interesting as well. Okay, I come from, there's a great deal of my past that was involved in planning. I was a planner. I was a logistical planner, okay, for a number of years. And as a logistical planner, okay, one of the things that you relied on was as many facts as you could get and as much truth as you could get because the plan would only be as good as the facts and the truth that you were able to put together. So when we're putting our plans together in our lives, seeking the will of God for our lives, one of the things that we need to do is to try to to understand as much as we can of the facts, but more than that is understanding the truth. And when you understand the truth that your life, okay, as a believer... God ought to be at first place. 
So when we make our plans, we do our calendars, and we put all of that in place. When we start putting these things down on the calendar, one of the things that we ought to do is be praying, okay, God, this is here, and this is here, and this is here. But remember the model prayer? When Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, what did he do? He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, your will be done on earth as it is, swear, in heaven. So when we plan our days and we plan our months and we plan our calendars, one of the things that ought to be foremost in our planning is, whatever your will is in heaven, may it be done so here on earth. God, you put your hand on this, not mine. Let me remove my hand from this. What? Don't you know that your life's only a vapor? It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I'm reminded of the words in Proverbs 27 and verse 1. You don't need to, to turn there this morning unless you just want to. Proverbs 27 and verse 1 makes an interesting statement. It says, right out of Proverbs 27, 1, do not boast about tomorrow. For you do not know what a day may bring because we don't. We don't. We could lay down and go to sleep and not wake up tomorrow. See, that's the reality of life. And let me say this this morning. Life is not simple, okay? I know that. Is life complicated? It is. It's filled with events, filled with people, it's filled with circumstances of which we have little to no control. Matter of fact, there's a management, large companies, Fortune 500 companies, they use this, they'll bring them in, they'll go through, spend a great deal of time on it. It's called the 90-10 principle, okay? 10% of your day you have no control over, but the other 90% of how you react to that 10% you do. But that 10% you just can't, you have no control over it. You, you, you have no idea what's going to happen. You, you don't know what tomorrow holds. But 90% of our day is nothing more than reaction to the 10% that we have no control over. And so that's what basically James is saying here. Don't be presumptuous about tomorrow. When it comes, that 10%, the way we react to it. How many times have we come to a day, it's fallen apart. First words out of our mouth is... I can't believe this. What am I going to do now? Have you ever thought, matter of fact, I've been guilty of this. Hold on. I've got a place to be. I'm running behind getting there. And it never fails. How many of y'all are trying to get somewhere? You got to cross a railroad track and a train's coming. Huh? Or... I was on my way to, to a funeral. Hadn't been that long ago. Running behind. Get out on the airline. Guess what? There's an accident. Traffic is backed all the way up. Let me share this with you. And the first words out of my mouth was, God, <laughs> God, I don't have a whole lot of time here. You know I need to get here. I'm stuck in the traffic. I can't get out. I said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Pretty soon it began to clear, and guess what? There was another accident not far up the airline that I could have been in the middle of, 
if I hadn't been delayed. You say, well, how do you know you'd have been in it? I don't. But sometimes we get so impatient with life. We leave God totally out of it. Leave him totally out of it. Verse 15. James says the right course of action is a what? Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, here it comes. If the Lord what? Wills, we will live and also do this or that. Please don't ever let it become just flippant words. How many of us have, well, you know, if God wills, we'll be there. See, I'm afraid we've come to the place today where that's just become another one of those cliches that we use. But do we really mean it? If God wills, I'll be there. If God allows me to see tomorrow. How many of y'all have used this phrase? Well, you know, we want you to come see us. Well, if the good Lord's willing, then the creeks don't rise. How many of y'all have ever used that? Huh? Let me tell you what it's become. It's become nothing more than just a cliche that we use. Do we really mean it? Are we really concerned to that degree? So James says the right course of action is a humble and a genuine acknowledgement of our dependence. Let me tell you what it is. It's a total dependence on God. See, you ready for this? Because God knows if it's just a cliche with you or if you really mean it from your heart. Hmm. You see, it's this presumptuous living of life that leads to a boastful and arrogant heart attitude. Look at verse 16. But as it is, Notice what he says. You boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. You boast in your arrogance. So, as I'm studying through all this, it's it's getting tougher and tougher for me because... um, I used to not be this way. Matter of fact, I I used to envy people that I was in college with and and going through different things because they'd get the syllabus, and the first thing they did, they'd get their calendar out. They'd mark everything on there when it was due. And I'd be like, what'd you do that for? It's on there. You know when it's due. Yeah, but I I, I set it out and I set a schedule because I get all of mine done early, so I make sure I've got them all. I said, get them all done early? (laughs) Not me. All I need to know is when it's due. I need to know what the minimum is to be able to get it in and get it graded and get out of this class. But what happens when something goes wrong? So today... I tried to do some pre-planning. But have we come to the point today that we've already decided what is going to happen in our lives, in our families, and in our churches when we decide that it's going to? 
So James concludes in verse 17. Notice what he says. Therefore. Ah, it's always tough when you get a therefore. <laughs> in light of everything he's just written. He says, therefore. To one who knows the right thing to do. And does not do it. To him it is what? It is sin. So what's this right thing? The right thing that James is writing about here is the understanding of how brief and unpredictable life is from our limited vantage point. Because it really is. So, carefully, considering the fact or truth, we should put things in the right priority. It's where they should be. So what does that look like? Live in humility with a genuine acknowledgement of our absolute dependence on God. And then I'll give you this statement in closing that I thought about as I was finishing some study. Okay, and here it is. Never presume upon a future that you cannot control. Never presume on a future you cannot control.